0: The fetus as the enemy. The fetus is a dependent. As a life, the fetus requires the life of the mother. The argument for abortion is that the baby is invasive. To be a mother, the mother must consent to have her body invaded. Depriving the mother of her right to consent is to demean and marginalize the life of the mother. The baby is analogous to the penis of a rapist. Thus, the crucial factor in the abortion debate is the full and willful consent of the mother. The corollary to this argument is that the fetus has no inalienable right to the mother's womb nor to the resources provided by her body. As the champ would have it, my body, my choice. The dependency of a fetus is not considered analogous to other forms of dependency. Dependents, including newborn babies, can be nursed by any competent adult. The condition of a fetus is closer to that of a parasite than a helpless creature needing life support. Females consent to become pregnant and engage in acts that result in pregnancy. This is said not to impose any obligation on them. Pregnancy involves only the mother's body, and so it is the mother's choice that is what matters. The father and society have no claim on the mother's body. My body, my choice, is the way pro-abortionists sum up their position. However, this argument does not apply in other situations, such as capital punishment, war, or where pandemics are involved. One does not have the right to not wear a seatbelt or take drugs, though only one's body is put at risk. Many nations still outlaw prostitution, rather than regulating it, demonstrating it is the bodily choice that is the issue, not the secondary problems. The bodily autonomy argument only works if the body is a physical vessel that belongs to the sentient adult for his or her own pleasure. Society is not permitted, according to this argument, to intercede on behalf of the commonwealth. Yet, governing by law is a wholesale denial of this argument. All law and government is the state saying personal autonomy does not supersede community rights. The rights of the individual cannot and will not interfere with the needs of the many and the duty of the individual to the common needs of the commonwealth. There is, regardless of the particulars, a need for new life and this obligation does rest on those living to provide their replacements. If the arguments for abortion prevail, the life of the child becomes a secondary right or derived right. The right of the child is sacrificed to the right of mother to full-body autonomy. There is no precedent for this right, and it is a right which does not exist anywhere other than in this instance. The bodily autonomy argument is a specious argument customized to fit the issue. Full bodily autonomy cannot be claimed nor defended. What the mother wants is the right not to be imposed upon by an enemy force or agent. The mother's body is considered to be a sovereign nation with the pregnancy as an invasion. The baby is viewed as an invading force or even parasitic infection. A baby and a virus are considered part of the same class of things. But there is another perspective to be considered. In this way of seeing abortion, the mother is a property owner. Mothers own their body. The baby is either part of the mother's property or a trespasser. In either case, the mother may choose to dispose of the child. But if the child is the property of the mother, what is the role of the man? Does a male have a right to comment on how this property is to be handled? Are only baby carriers permitted to comment on abortion? Do those who are able to fight wars have the only say in when or where a war will be fought? Is it only plumbers who can comment on where plumbing fixtures will go? What of trans women? If a trans woman is a woman, are they permitted to have an opinion on abortion? Men who become women by choice have they gained the right to discuss the issue? But what more do they know about pregnancy and abortion than what they knew as men? What of trans men who have a uterus and become pregnant as men? Can trans men engage in discussions on abortion, or have they forgotten what it was like to be a woman? A trans man might have had an abortion. If the Supreme Court was composed of trans men, Could they overturn Roe v. Wade as a legitimate act based on their possession of a uterus? What if they were all pregnant when they overturned the decision? Would this matter to the left? If it is just a matter of the sovereignty of a woman and her rights over that of a child, what precisely are women's rights? Why do women have rights? How do women's rights differ from men's rights and how do they impact human rights? Why are allies of abortionists given a platform and room in the public square, but not those who oppose abortion? Men to be men must not restrict themselves to being nothing but semen donors. To complete our identity, we must support the carrier of our DNA. Men must support the child and be there for the child as well as for the mother of their child. A man must be a father in more than a biological sense. Do parental responsibilities begin at birth? Can a man enjoy a hiatus of his responsibilities between insemination and birth? Is the father an ally of the mother or is he too the enemy of the pregnant person? Does his position rest entirely on his stance on abortion? Why is it only people who have been born against abortion? Do people who experienced birth have a right to deny the experience to others? The rights of the woman over her fetus are often expressed as the rights of a property owner. The killer of a child that is owned by the mother and considered the property of the mother can only be guilty of a property crime, assuming he ended the life of a fetus without the mother's consent. If the fetus is property, the killing of a fetus would equate to the killing of a family pet. If the child is a person upon conception, he or she has a right to life, irrespective of the level of inconvenience this imposes upon the mother. If the fetus is a child and a person, he or she has the same rights as do all other persons. The right of the mother to abort the child at will, and the right of the law to consider the killing of a fetus without the mother's consent, murder, are not consistent applications of the law. Either abortion is murder, or the fetus is the property of the mother, and all offenses against the fetus are in fact property crimes. If the fetus can be killed by the mother but the child is a human life protected under law, then the only option available to us, within the context of the law, is to see the fetus as a slave, a human owned by the mother. The problem with the conventional ways of understanding the legal status of the fetus creates unresolvable contradictions. If the fetus is property owned by the mother, the father has a legal property claim to it the mother not being the sole producer of said fetus. The father's claim exists as a liability against the mother's property claim to the fetus. Which means that the mother, disposing of said property, creates an actionable offense against the right of the father to enjoy the fruits of his labor. However, if we consider the fetus as a human, the father cannot possess an inalienable right to another human. If we take this path and remain consistent within the law, any act against the child is an act against a fully protected human being. Making a fetus a legal human makes abortion murder. The child cannot consent to his or her life being ended, no more than an unconscious woman is able to consent to sex. If the child is considered property under the law, there are no capital charges for harming the child. It is a property crime. The life of the child as property is not protected to any greater extent than other forms of property. Killing a fetus cannot be considered homicide in this context. This protects the abortionist, but it also protects the drunk driver from charges of double homicide for killing a mother and her unborn child. The dilemma created by the mother's unreserved claim to the child. Despite not being the sole originating source, and the actions taken by abortionists, contrasted with the person who becomes a de facto abortionist by negligent homicide, are resolvable only if the fetus is designated, for legal purposes, a slave. A slave is owned by its legal owner. Insemination could be considered the act of creating a slave. The act of creating property, does not give title to this property, under the law, to the laborer, if the work is done by consent to benefit another, in this case the pregnant female. The man is, under the law, considered a person laboring for the benefit of the impregnated person. The fruit of his work becomes by virtue of the consent of the laborer and the unwritten understanding of the interested parties, the solely owned property of the impregnated person, i.e., the mother. As the solely owned property of its mother, the fetus is governed solely by the jurisdictional rights of the mother. She may carry or dispose of said fetus, as her will determines. The fetus is her legal property, though human. There are no other claims or liabilities attached to said fetus the mother's claim and rights are absolute. The father's rights were never attached to as part of the fertilization process because they were never legally recognized to exist. This being said, the fetus carries the full rights of its humanity other than its designation as property. The fetus thus becomes the wholly owned property of the mother, but human, ergo, a slave. The humanity of the slave is protected against all ill use and damage by other parties other than its owner, legally known as its mother. The statutes of limitations attached to the rights of ownership of said fetus terminate at birth. That is, the status of slave exists only so long as the fetus remains attached to the mother. Said slave is manumitted at birth. Designating the fetus as a slave and the mother as slave owner is the only legal recourse the abortionist has if she wishes to remain consistent and maintain a legally defensible position. Designating the fetus as a slave under the law is the only means by which the incongruities of the present status of the fetus can be resolved. The resolution may not suit all persons, but the only recourse is to reassert pregnancy, places the person above the law. The alternative to declaring the fetus a slave is to see mother's rights as beyond legal precedent and reach, meaning women's rights are not grounded in law or anything other than the power of the state to protect these rights from all contrary claims. To conclude, outside of fascism and a totalitarian resolution, there is only one response to the dilemma created by the abortion debate, and that is the one given above. Other than the options provided, abortion cannot be legally protected.